This episode of the Unstoppable CEO podcast is sponsored by our referrable book program, where we'll create a great lead generating book for you. If you've always wanted to write a book for your business, but never managed to get it done, let us do it for you. To find out if this is a fit for you, schedule a quick 20 minute intro call with me at unstoppableceo.net. Click the book a call button. Now on to the episode. Hey everybody, it's Steve. You know, we've got um, over 200 episodes out now, and we've got some great stuff back there in the archives that uh, you may not know about. And so today I'm pulling out one of my personal favorite episodes. This is a conversation with master marketer and consultant Perry Marshall, and it's a different kind of conversation. We talk about Perry's book, Evolution 2.0, which is absolutely fascinating. And uh, you're going to get to listen to a couple of engineers geek out and talk about uh, things that aren't necessarily business related, but have some really important business connotations. And um, as you listen to this interview, um, really, you might want to listen to it a couple of times because um, we get to talking about how uh, how everything is fractal, how 80-20 is fractal. And there's an 80-20 inside the 80-20 and another 80-20 inside that. And when you begin to really think about these things, it unlocks for you the secret to optimizing your business. Um, and so inside this interview, you're going to hear that, but you're going to have to read between the lines a little bit. One of my favorite conversations, I've listened to it again multiple times. I don't do that with many of the podcast episodes, but I think you'll enjoy it. And, uh, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. Perry Marshall, uh, and, and most of you will probably know that name. Perry is one of the most expensive and sought after business consultants. He's endorsed by Forbes, by Inc. Magazine, and he's one of the most respected entrepreneurs in the world. His clients seek his ability to integrate engineering, sales, art, and psychology. And most recently, he's founded the $5 million Evolution 2.0 Prize with judges from Harvard, Oxford, and MIT. And the prize aims to solve the biggest mystery in biology. I'm really excited to be talking about that today. Perry, welcome to The Unstoppable CEO. Thanks for having me on. And and um, just based on our conversation before we started, this is going to be a fun time. And we're, you know, we're I've always belie- believed that everything is connected and, you know, ev- everything is, is a metaphor for something else. And, and, you know, to me, there are no walls between disciplines, even though most people compartmentalize to a great degree. So this is a very, you know, busting out of the compartments conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So just to give everybody a little bit of context, I know a lot of people have probably heard of you. You've written a number of books um, in, in business, um, and you've recently written a, a book called Evolution 2.0. But give everybody a little background and context for how you got to this point in your life. So I'm the engineer who got laid off when his wife was three months pregnant with the first child and had to scramble like crazy to you know try to land on my feet. And I ended up in sales um, and uh, working for this technical sales company. And um, it was brutal. First couple of years was bologna sandwiches and ramen soup. And I managed, I managed to discover direct marketing um, and roughly at the same time switch jobs to a slightly different company that had a website. And that was in 1997. And, uh, and in so doing, I stumbled into online marketing 
which really immediately started working. Um, and it, and it started working immediately because I had learned enough from Dan Kennedy newsletters and stuff like that to have some rudimentary sense of how to put a sales pitch in front of a person on the internet, like back in those very early days when nobody really knew what to do. Right. Um, and, uh, well, we grew that company from 200,000 to four, $4 million in four years and sold it to a public firm for $18 million. And so I said to myself, wow, well, I'm sort of good at this direct marketing stuff. I'm not fantastic. I'm adequately good. Um, I'm fantastic compared to guys that sell industrial controls equipment, <laughs> right? right? Which are like in the land of the blind, the man with one eye gets to be king. What if I actually got really good at this? Well, I hung out my shingle, started a consulting firm. Six months later, Google AdWords came into existence, which I quickly discovered was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and, and, well, then fast forward another couple of years and I'm, I'm speaking at seminars around the world and I'm selling the world's best selling book on internet advertising, which is now known as ultimate guide to Google AdWords. So, um, yeah, went from bologna sandwiches and ramen soup to actually being able to pay my bills and, you know, and not having to move in with my wife's parents, which was a relief. <laughs> so that's, that's who I am. And I'm also pretty well known for a book called 8020 Sales and Marketing, which is my manifesto on how sales and marketing should be done. So, you know, the Google book, the Facebook book, well, if you want to advertise on Google and Facebook, then those books are clearly for you. But really, just about anybody who sells or even works for a living, I think should read 8020 Sales and Marketing because it's a real, it's a real big shortcut to, to learning how it all works. Yeah, I, I wish absolutely. I'd had that book. When I started, it would have saved me a, well, at least a year, if not two or three. Yeah, I wish I'd had it when I started, too. Unfortunately, it took you too long to write it. Uh, I got it about 10 years into my marketing journey. We we have a very similar path. I started actually owned an engineering consulting firm before I went into marketing. And, uh, um, and, and I, you know, when I got to the 80, 20 book, I read it and I'm like, okay, this was written for me. And so thank you very much for personally writing that for me. I appreciate it. Um, but, um, you've done a, an awful lot of very diverse things. Um, and as I was listening to you describe going from, you know, being that sort of laid off engineer and, and, and moving through these other phases, really that process leads right into what I want to talk about today. And, and what you went through there very clearly is an evolutionary process. You, you changed, yeah. you developed, you grew and, um, yeah. and, and I think that fits perfectly with, uh, with your latest book, Evolution 2.0. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. So can you kind of set the stage for us about what it is and, and what inspired you to write it? Well, you know, the word evolution, a lot of times the way that it gets used, it sounds like this impersonal Darwinian grinding away process that you hear about on a PBS show, you know, and then at the end of the show, 
after you watch some lions eat some gazelles or something, the camera pans back and, you know, and so the struggle ever goes on as it has for millions of years. And it just, it's all like really detached and kind of cerebral. You know what I'm saying? You know, that is a real mischaracterization of what evolution really is. Um, and, and in my, in, in, I, I wrote the book Evolution 2.0 because I went down this rabbit hole and I became absolutely appalled. Like I didn't know, I didn't know the subject. I didn't understand it. Um, so I guess I, I, I need to tell you what happened. So what happened was my brother got a seminary degree. So we're, my brother and I are both pastors, kids really grew up in Nebraska, very conservative uh, upbringing. And, you know, I'm a Christian guy and I go to church and I got my wife and kids and my brother is actually quite a bit more conservative than me. Um, I, you know, I would always meander around and I would try different things. And he was like, man, he was doing the party line, man. And he goes to seminary and he gets a master's degree in theology and he's getting ready to be a pastor. Then he ends up being a missionary in China. Well, in four years time, he went from missionary in China to almost atheist. And, um, and we are both very literate and very intellectual. And he had all of these questions, like just this, this closet full of bones of all these questions just popped open for him. And, and he's just trying to sort through it and, um, and he's buried in his questions and he's dragging me into it. And I don't know where this is going. And it was really pushing a lot of my buttons. And one day I visited him in China and we're riding in this bus in the back and, and we get into this argument and, and I go, and I find myself retreating to science because I'm an electrical engineer and I know science really well. And I, I think, I think this was actually a very primal response to a very primal question. You know, like this is a big question. Like where did it all come from? This is not a trivial question. I mean, a lot of people like to avoid it, but man, it's there. Well, we came from somewhere like, where do we come from and how did this actually happen? And I said, I said to Brian, I go, Brian, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, I am an engineer. This is an incredible piece of engineering. Nobody's ever disagreed with me when I've said that either. Like, man, you know, you could drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee and chew (laughs) gum and, and do your stick shift and flip somebody off like all at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. And, and I, I said, you don't think this is a random accumulation of accidents, do you? And he's like, hold on, hold on, Perry. And he just pushes right back with this kind of standard Darwin answer that pretty much everybody's heard somewhere along the way. And he goes, you don't need any designers. You just need millions of years and natural selection and accidental mutations. And you're going to get a hint. And I listened to that and I'm like, I really doubt that I buy into that story. However, like I'm, I'm trying to think 10 chess moves ahead in this argument. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to have this argument really. And I don't know that much about it, but 
I do know that a whole bunch of biologists, as far as I can tell, would agree with him, not me. And I don't have a biology degree. And I know from engineering, there's all kinds of crazy things that you would never guess or to be true. There actually are true. And I thought of very specific things that I knew, like I, I would have never figured that out on my own. Uh, but, but I know it's true. So I just actually kind of bit my lip and I stopped arguing with him and I uh, kind of inside my head and my heart, I said, I don't know. He might be right. I might be wrong. I'm going to go home and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to let science decide this for me. And the reason I'm going to do that is because we've going around and around in circles about like how you read the Bible and all these other questions and all these, a lot of that stuff is really squishy and you can just change your position so easily and, and just never get to anything. But in engineering, you can't do that. And in science, it's a lot harder to go around in circles in science. Like you define something and then you have a starting point and then like I built and designed all kinds of equipment and stuff. And like, I'm going to use that kind of thinking. I'm going to figure this out. So I can figure it like, do hands come from random accidents? If they do, I'll figure it out and I'll know there must be a way to know. And so, so I went down the rabbit hole. Well, what I found was so much more amazing than I ever expected it's just almost unbelievable. And, and the, and the short version is, is that the version that I grew up on of how we got here was really butchered the science. Um, you know, like I grew up, they taught me that the world is 6,000 years old and all this kind of stuff. No, it's not. It is most emphatically is not. Um, and the version they told Brian wasn't true either. Okay. Hands are not an accumulation of random accidents. Hands are an accumulation of natural genetic engineering and the fact that every cell in existence has the ability to cut, splice, edit, and rearrange its own DNA. And that soft, uh, the evolution is basically the world's most unbelievable software engineering problem ever. Um, and, and that every problem that Silicon Valley is trying to solve has already been solved in the cell. And, the, and, and I believe that we are here as a result of an evolutionary process. And the evolutionary process is so much more amazing than anything humans know how to design. It's not even funny. And so what ended up, what I ended up realizing was that both sides, so to speak, were partly right and partly wrong. But the real interesting story was never being even told by either side. And that what you had was a classic case of political polarization where the same people are all getting drowned out by the zealots on the extremes, which there's a whole chapter about that in my 80-20 sales and marketing book. It's, uh, in fact, the previous election, um, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, basically, they're both, in my opinion, nut jobs, and they completely dominated the conversation. And like... 
if let's say that we could sort of agree that Ben Carson was at least a sane guy, whether or not you wanted him or his policies, like he was at least willing to sit down and have a calm conversation. The calm conversation could not drown out. You know, it couldn't even compete with like all the nutty stuff, you know, that Donald and Hillary are doing. And, and this is what has happened to the evolution debate is in the middle. There's a very sane, very fascinating thing, but it doesn't lend itself to name calling and demonization and all this other stuff. And so I had to write this book because the book had to get written. Like somebody has to write this. Somebody has to tell this story and nobody had told the story. So this might sound like an outrageous statement, but evolution 2.0 is the first book in 150 years that actually explains how evolution actually works in plain English that regular people can understand. Now the story has been properly told at a PhD level in other books and some of them are behind me, okay? But if you're a mere mortal, or if you're in high school, or if you just maybe have a college degree and you're somewhat scientifically inclined, but not really, none of those books would have ever explained it to you. But but this does. And and so, yeah, so that's Evolution 2.0. Well, and I, I read the book, and uh, and it, it it's just fascinating. Uh, the way you've laid it out, I think, is is masterful for a couple of reasons. One, you you include all of the science that you've used a, as a background. So anybody that wants to go and dig deeper can do that. But you've also laid it out so that uh, a layman can get into it and understand it. And um, and, and really, it, you have two sides to this whole thing. And and you know, it, we, you've already said this can be a very you know divisive topic. Uh, but that's not the reason I'm, I, I wanted to bring it here to the podcast. I think it, as I went through the book, it, it became very clear to me that, that this missing piece that, that you're describing in the book has so much power to impact the future of mm-hmm. humanity and the planet, because there's so much knowledge, wisdom, intelligence in how biology is actually working at a very, very, you know, tiny level inside of all of us and in everything, uh, a lot of secrets in there that, that when we understand how it works, the, how it works part can be applied to other systems that we're creating. And I think it's really, really powerful. Um, and so can you kind of walk everybody through what you've discovered and and where, what's existing in this middle ground that nobody's talking about? Well, okay. So the Darwinists tell you that hands evolve by accidental copying errors of DNA multiplied by millions of creatures and species in millions of years. And that, that, well, my brother actually stated it very succinctly when we argued on that bus. He goes, look, Perry, you had, you know, hundred million Falcons flying around for a hundred million years. That's a lot of Falcons, Perry. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of Falcons. And he goes, Okay, so if there's an accidental copying error every now and then, and every now and then one of those copying errors makes a better eye, and then it can hunt better, then it can outhunt the, the other falcons, then you get better falcons. Because you don't need you don't need God or anything for that to happen. It just happens automatically. And okay, so that's like that's basically the standard explanation. 
And lots of people believe that and they buy into that. And I was like, okay, that sort of makes sense, except hold. And this is where being an electrical engineer really kicked in. It was like, how come they never taught me that in engineering school? How no, there was never like, I took all these classes on how to optimize things. I, I specialize in communication systems and control systems. And there was no, no, there was never any class where it was like, so you make a million copies of the control system. You mute, make mutant error prone copies of some of them. And one of them's just bound to be better. Like, it's like, this doesn't compute. I said, so where, where is this? Well, if this exists, I, I had to be able to figure it out. I'm sure I'll figure it out. So where is it? And like, if the biologists know something the engineers don't know, then let's, let's have it. Let's bring it into engineering where we can, maybe I could use it tomorrow. I mean, I'm doing all these websites and Google AdWords and, and I design audio equipment in my spare time. I mean, I, there's probably something they know that I could use, right? Well, then you go on the other side and the creation are saying, well, creationists are saying, well, evolution is a hoax and, you know, there aren't that many intermediate forms and, and the fossil record doesn't look like what Darwin said it would, which is true. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's all a big hoax and you need an act of creation to do all this stuff. Well, um, well, I, I really quickly figured out what well, the universe isn't 6,000 years old. You can see stars that are a billion light years away. So like that just erases that right there. Um, and, and, and so, but, so what's the truth? Well, I really kind of floundered around, um, for a while, but I eventually discovered two things and, and, and this is like two of the biggest epiphanies I've ever had in my life. So the first one was I was taking Brian's Falcon thing. Okay. Accidental copying error. That's a mutation. Uh, are you, are you sure you can get a better eye out of that? That doesn't make sense to me. So I, I, I start studying DNA and how does DNA copying work? And all of a sudden, boom, like one day I just was jolted with this sense of recognition. I'm reading this biology thing. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I know exactly what this is, which t totally surprised me. I, I didn't see this coming. And what it was, was I wrote an Ethernet book in 2002. And it was uh, with the world's largest society of process control engineers. It's how the ones and zeros go back and forth across the wire, because I used to live in that world. And, it, you know, so, and it's in its third edition now. It just, in 2017, the third edition of that book came out. Well, what I suddenly realized was almost everything that's true of Ethernet is also true of DNA and genes and chromosomes. It's all digital data, and it all obeys the same set of rules. And it, and it has the same conceptual elements. So when you're talking on your cell phone and you're going down the expressway and there's engine noise and there's bridges and and the signals bouncing all over the place, there's all this error correction so that you, the call doesn't get dropped. Okay. Well, guess what? When cells copy and make other cells, all the same kinds of systems that ensure that your cell phone call doesn't get dropped 
makes sure that the DNA strand gets copied correctly. Okay. So that, that was huge. I was like, Oh, I can, I know this. I wrote it. I wrote an ethernet book for crying out loud. I totally get this stuff. And all of a sudden, like I knew where to start, like, okay, so that means, that means therefore it takes me to here. I need to learn about this. I need about this. I've got this whole list of things in the ethernet book. I have to figure out what the biology equivalent is. I bet you I'm going to find, I'm going to find this. I'm going to find this. I'm going to find, and I did like, it was all, it was amazing. It was just, it was amazing to find all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, none of this ever happens by accident ever. Okay. It's impossible. It's, it's not just unlikely. It's impossible. So I could have stopped there. And most people have, I know lots of people, they got that far and they stopped and they said, okay, it's all designed. God's behind this evolution. Not true. Now I can go on. I didn't stop. Because I had seen a bunch of other reasons to strongly suspect that an evolutionary path was still valid. What I, I said, you know what? I think there's still something missing and I haven't found it yet. And I actually held these two things in tension for about two years. It was like, I know all this communication stuff. I wrote an Ethernet book. None of this happens by accident. It looks very designed, actually. On the other hand... It absolutely looks like whales evolved from a mammal that walked on the earth and had four legs because whales have whales have these shrunken down legs in the back of their body. The bones are there. You can go see them in a museum like, wow. Okay. So what is it that I'm missing? Well, so then comes the second epiphany is about two years later and I'm really, I'm kind of proud of myself for just holding those (laughs) intention and not just because I so badly wanted to just shortcut to a quick answer and put this behind me. Because you're dealing with too big of a question. There's no shortcut. Well, right, right. And everybody wants to shortcut it and you can't. And even the stuff I know now or think I know now, there's so much more. Like I've only scratched the surface and I know this, right? So anyway, somebody sent me a paper by the scientist um, from the University of Chicago, and he was telling this story. And I got to tell you the story because it's just, it, it just, it's remarkable. So, so this lady named Barbara McClintock uh, was studying corn plants in the 1940s, and this lady was really, really smart. Okay, like she was incredibly sharp, and. Um, she was um, hitting corn DNA with x-rays to break the DNA. And she was trying to basically genetically hack the plant and see what would happen. And she had this idea of what was going to happen. She said, well, what if I try this? And she tried this and the plant just totally threw her a curveball. She's like, whoa. What just happened? Um, so just to just so everybody's clear, what what she's doing in that experiment you describe it in the book, she's trying to create these genetic mutations. Yes, and and like Brian was talking about, right. the Falcons. Yeah, just random genetic mutations, just to see what would happen. Right. Well, 
what the plant did was so the conception at the time was that this genetic material just kind of randomly mixes around and occasionally creates an evolutionary event. And this is how you get new species and everything. Well, this is what they thought happened. And this is what most people still think happens, but she actually figured out what happens. So I'll give you an analogy. What she did would be like if I took a 350 page novel and I ripped out page 186 and then I said, hey, Steve, uh, here, I'm going to give you like a day. I'll give you a week if you want. You know, read this thing from cover to f- cover and reconstruct as best you can the missing page. Well, if you're a really good writer, you could do that. You Some, some would do a better job than others, but you could, you know, a good writer could make that mistake kind of go away. Um, like by taking other sentences, other paragraphs, other concepts from the book and, and sticking them together. Well, this is what Barbara's corn plant did. It actually went to other genes and other chromosomes that started copying. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to fill in my missing page of genetic material and let's go. And the plant went from being unable to reproduce because of its damaged DNA to now, once again, able to reproduce. And it's done something completely new that's never happened in the history of corn plants because that damage was completely unique in the history of corn plants. Okay. So what she had done was she had observed she, she'd been the first person to observe an evolutionary event and then figure out genetically, like literally gene by gene, what had happened. The plant had intelligently mutated. It's amazing. Uh, uh, un, it's it's mind-blowing. If, if you really grasp what I'm saying here, it's mm-hmm. just mind-blowing. Okay? It's like software that rewrites itself. Okay? Which... Your computer software on your computer does not do that, right? If like one of those files gets wiped out, it's gone, right? Well, her colleagues thought she was crazy. Like, no, woman, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, no, that that plant did not do what you just said it did. And like, they just, they wouldn't accept it. And she went underground with her research for 20 years, but she kept doing it. Like nobody would listen to her. She won the Nobel prize in 1983. She has her picture on a U.S. postage stamp. Now, in my opinion, she's probably one of the five greatest biologists who's ever lived. Wow. Well, one of the reasons I wrote evolution 2.0 is because what Barbara discovered is really like just the tip of the iceberg of how evolution actually works. It is an active process It's not just this passive accidental thing where crap happens and then better things just kind of emerge, which is that's the impression that the secular people always give you. No, no. Evolution is an active, intentional process. And and so um, 
there's there's all these in the in in evolution 2.0 i call it the swiss army knife that there's a whole series of tools that organisms use to adapt to their environment to edit their dna to merge together to form uh, merger uh, merger um, co- cooperative uh, symbiotic relationships uh, merger acquisitions uh, is just amazing and and so now what I find is that entrepreneurs and CEOs, even if they don't have a science background, when they read my book, they relate to it because what the book is saying is so every entrepreneur, every CEO, every business leader, every sales manager, every marketing manager, anybody who's in a leadership position in a company, everybody knows gun to your head. You have to make it, it's got to be better this year than it was last year, or you're dead, or you're, you're, you're on a death march. Like, make it better, okay? So the car's got to be faster, the electronics got to be smaller, the software's got to be more beautiful, the movie's got to be better, the TV show's got to be better, the podcast's got to be better. And, like, you don't even know how to do it. You just know you have to, right? Well, I already made it the best I know how. Well, make it better. Because if you don't, somebody else will. So that that competition is always going on. But how do you evolve? You don't evolve by accident. Now there might be serendipities and there might be lucky breaks. And but man, like you're applying mind over matter like all the time. And so really, if if you run a business, you understand evolution way better than you ever probably thought you did. And so. You know, Evolution 2.0 is not really a business book, but if you're a business person and you know kind of that mindset, you'll see business everywhere in that book. You'll you'll see it in in you know how cells evo- cooperate and merge and do these amazing things. You know, uh, did you know that 90% cell for cell, 90% of your body is symbiotic bacteria? And only 10% of our Steve cells. Okay. That's crazy. That's a crazy it, statistic, crazy, but isn't it? Your, your intestines are full of bacteria that help you digest your food. Um, and your skin is full of bacteria that protect you from, from hostile bacteria. If you kill them all with, a, um, with an, an antibiotic, somebody gets a yeast infection. That's because you killed your friendly bacteria. Termites can digest wood only because the bacteria in their intestines can digest wood. The termites can't. It's, it's the symbiotic bacteria. Um, in business, almost every quantum leap that you ever see in business is a symbiotic merger of two completely different things to make something new. So Uber, if we take taxis and we mix it with cell phone app, which used to not have anything to do with each other, mm-hmm. you create this completely new, different business that never existed before that completely transforms the world. And all of the major steps in evolution are either symbiotic or hybrid mergers because evolution does take leaps. So this is something that Darwin could never figure out. He's like, well, why does the fossil record jump from here to here to here without very many intermediate forms? It's because of merger acquisitions. And we see the same thing in technology. We see the same thing in business. We could go the history of the cassette player or the Sony Walkman or the, um, or the, 
the iPod or the iPhone and it's all symbiotic mergers of, well, you know, what if we take a telephone network and we merge it with the internet and we put a screen on it? And how about an app store? You know, well, that was an old idea too. It existed in Linux a long time before Apple was ever doing it. And they took the, they stir fried all that together and boom, you have the iPhone, which is like what the most successful product ever in technology history. So we can learn a lot from evolution, like a lot, a lot. I, I find that biological evolution is a great way to pull myself out of my business space and my business assumptions, go into another world. How would a cell solve this problem? Hmm. Well, it's already been solved like 2 billion years ago. How did they do it? And then, and then you come back and I, I really do apply this in business. Um, you know, I mean, I get paid a few thousand dollars an hour to do consultations. And a lot of times I'm like, I'm switching on the biology side of my brain in order to solve a business problem. Well, I'll tell you the, you talked about these, these large jumps in, mm -hmm. in the evolutionary uh, timeline. And it, to me, when I read that, it, I, I thought, well, God, we're going through one of those right now in business. Everybody likes to talk about this magical D word disruption, right? But that's just an example of the conditions being ripe in a lot of different places for people to make this jump. And, and Uber is a good example of that. But this isn't the first time we've seen it in business. You know, no. it, it's, it happened throughout the last century. But then if you look at all of our economic big jumps, they really all follow that kind of a pattern where somebody combined a couple of different ideas, which really is what this is. It's an, you know, intelligent plus design where humans are applying intelligence, designing mm -hmm. something new and making this leap. And so as I was going through it, I, you know, first of all, from, you know, from a, a spiritual and, you know, and, 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 and just a personal context, fascinating read. But as I was going through, I kept thinking, well, wait, that's what's happening in, in this industry. This is applied yes. here. Um, and that's one of the reasons I was really excited to, to talk about this. I know you do a lot of interviews on 80-20 and, and it's a powerful book, but I think it is, um, it's almost a subset of, of what is in Evolution 2.0. Evolution 2.0 right. is sort of a much broader look at this and um, fascinating to see how these things change. And as you, if you go get the book and you read it, I think it's going to give you a new perspective to, to look at the problems that come up in your business. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. And um, I mean, I've used this over and over and over again, and my, my customers use it. So in the Evolution 2.0 book, we have this concept called the Swiss Army Knife, which is all these little things that cells do. I took that, I moved it into advertising, and we created a system called the Swiss Army Knife system for Google and Facebook ads. And people use it and like, and they use it to jam together ideas that they would have never really thought to connect to each other uh, because the hardest problem like in internet advertising or in technology or business period, it, it's the, it's the problem of novelty. How do I come up with something new that nobody's ever seen before? That's also great. That's not just like a duck build platypus. You know, there's a lot of those out there, right? right. And they, they kind of fail, right? Well, you, you need a system for thinking of how to do it. You, you can't normally just count on like, well, I hope it comes to me in the shower tomorrow morning. It may not come to you in the shower. Like you need a, a method, right? And, and so 
um, it, it, it really is powerful. And my, my assertion is that all evolution is fundamentally the same. We could talk about cells or zebras or Sony Walkmans or iPhones or jazz or politics or literature. And it, it all operates on the same universal set of principles. Well, so I believe that I believe that if we can teach people that universal set of principles, we can get a new renaissance. We can get another one. We had one 500 years ago. It's time for another one. It's long overdue. But you you have to have a system for thinking about it. And you have to have a system that doesn't attempt to subdivide the world into these little compartments. It actually has to connect everything together. And um, and I, I think... I think the the creationists have subdivided the world into, you know, there's religion and there's science and and they're they're in conflict with each other and you're just supposed to believe the religious version, right? The the, the atheists basically do the same thing. They have this war between faith and science. I want to end the war between faith and science. There is there is nothing about evolution that that pushes you away from God. Um the if I was to summarize evolution 2.0 in two sentences, it's Darwinists underestimate nature and creationists underestimate God. God is way bigger than either of those camps ever imagined God to be. Now, I'll give you an example of what I, what I mean by that. So, Steve, do you ever use, back in the day, do you ever use DOS? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Right? The old, the old Microsoft operating system, right? Well, I did too. And... So I want you to imagine that DOS came out in 1981, and after that, Bill Gates never touched it. No programmers in Redmond, Washington ever touched it. And I want you to imagine that by its inherent adaptive capabilities, DOS developed a Windows desktop, and it developed an Internet connection, and it developed Microsoft Word, and it developed Excel, and it developed antivirus. And then all the machines started updating each other's virus definitions every day. And I want you to imagine that all of that happened adaptively and automatically and that we got to the windows we have today without employees in Redmond, Washington. If that was what DOS did, would you be impressed? I think undoubtedly. You, yeah, you'd be like, oh, my word. Like, yeah. where did that come from? Who wrote that code? Okay, this is how people of faith should perceive evolution. It's the software that rewrites itself. If Microsoft knew what one bacterium knows, their stock would go up 10x, maybe 100x. Microsoft does not know what one bacterium knows. There's there's a uh, kind of famous YouTube video, and it's about it's less than a year old, and it was done at Harvard. And here's it was it's really fascinating. They took this this glass um, thing, and they put bacteria in it, and they put antibiotics in it. And then they did time-lapse photography for two weeks. And so 
what so it's in these sections and so it's you start in one section they had all these bacteria um, in basically a giant petri dish and then they put antibiotics in it okay and it killed almost all the bacteria dead but there were a few that they rearranged their dna and they they did all these recalculations and they figured out how to resist the antibiotics. So then they took the survivors and then they put them in the next section. And in the next section, the antibiotic was 10 times stronger. It killed almost all of them. This is like survivor, right? This right. is like yeah. a reality show, right? 10 times the antibiotic killed almost all of them. A few of them figured out how to resist the antibiotics. Then they start growing and then they went to the next one and it keeps going and going until I forget if it was a thousand or a million times the concentration of antibiotic. I think it was a million. Okay. And by, by the end of the two weeks, the winners, the, the, the progeny of the winners of the winners of the winners of the winners had all figured out how to combat the antibiotics. Okay, and you you can look this up and find it on YouTube, or we'll send you a link. You sure. put it in the show notes. Okay, it's really cool. All right, this does not happen by accident. Okay, this happens on purpose. This is the bacteria trying to figure out how to resist the antibiotic. Okay, this is the war in your immune system every day. This is what's going on when you wake up at two in the morning, your throat is sore and you can feel a sinus infection coming on your body and those bacteria are in an arms race. But now what if Microsoft knew how to do that? Yeah. Be Seriously. Amazing. I mean, what the problems that we're facing right now, we're about to have what we hit a billion people on the planet when about uh, maybe less than a thousand or a thousand years ago, somewhere in that ballpark. Within the oh, last maybe, few thousand years, maybe within a few hundred years, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. and and we're about to have uh, nine billion, right, right. So right. we have exponentially expanding problems in the world, and exponentially expanding opportunities in the world, and yes. I believe that our our thinking models aren't quite up to par, which is the reason you're seeing a lot of the things that we're seeing in the world happen right now, and that's right. You know, I feel like what what you've uncovered and, and a lot of the research that has been done that, that you've found and been able to piece together gives us a new way to look at things and uh, and gives us an opportunity to look at things a little bit differently. Now, I want to just go back to something you just said. You talked about the bacteria and you said that mm -hmm. that, you know, the bacteria, uh, the ones that survived were sort of desperately trying to figure out how do we combat this? So. Yeah. The the skeptic who's listening to this is going to say, well, how do you know that they were trying to figure that out and they didn't just get lucky? Well, it's because this has been studied in great detail. And what happens when you put bacteria under stress is their mutation rate goes up 100,000 times. Okay? 100,000 X. Okay? And what they do is they start moving coding sequences in their DNA, they start moving them around and they also start exchanging them with other bacteria. Now in a limited sense, there is some luck, but look, it's just like a business scrambling to meet payroll. It's the same thing It's like, well, let's try having a sale. 
Let's try putting a sign outside. Let's try sending out an email. Let's try a social media thing. Let's try a publicity stunt. Um, let's like, what happens, you know, like there's a rumor that Fred Smith who started FedEx met payroll by going to Vegas one weekend and coming back <laughs> with the money. Okay. Well, let's go to Vegas. You know, maybe that'll work. Right. And anybody that's owned a business has gone through this, right? The, the only part that's lucky is that you don't know which one of those things is actually going to work. I would never claim that these bacteria know in advance what's going to work, but they know what to try. So they, okay. s- they see new changing adverse condition. Yeah. Or maybe new opportuni- opportunistic set of conditions yes. in the environment. And yeah, maybe- like new food. If I could digest that food, man, we would be in really great shape. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so they say, okay, let's see if we can figure out how to deal with this. And they right. start changing things. Kind of like right. what we would do as, as, you know, complete creatures. Yes. Exactly yes. what we would do, actually. Exactly what we do every day. Yes. Which brings me to another connection between 80-20 and all of this. So in, uh, I'd read a lot about 80-20 before I came across your book. And I don't remember how far into your book you talk about it, but you talk about the fractal nature of 80-20. I just had one of those. Should have had a V8 moments, right? Um, because I hadn't seen that yet. And the minute that I saw, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and... Me too. Really, yeah. that's what's happening. If you look at, at uh, and I really encourage people to get the book because you'll see this, all the way from a cellular level at the DNA level, the sort of the, the changing and decision making really is, which is what is, is happening there is very, very similar and just a micro version of what happens at, at the larger level at a human level or at an organizational level or at a national level or at a global level. Yes. And that's what I saw in it as I went through. Yes. Well, you are astute. Not everybody picks up on that, but yes, evolution is fractal. Okay. So there's evolution at the single cell level. There's evolution of a single system in your body, like the immune system or your nervous system. There's evolution of the whole organism. There's evolution at the population level. Um, and so like most of this stuff has been dumbed down to just pure ridiculousness. And, and the fact is, is it, is that there are, there are, there are evolutionary progresses being made at every level of analysis. Okay. The world is profoundly sophisticated and profoundly intentional in ways that we can't really imagine. And until, until we accept that, we're going to be really stuck. I think, I think the next big revolution in science is going to be when the purposefulness of nature is fully accepted. Now, in biology, it has been verboten to admit that biological organisms are purposeful and evolve purposefully. It's been like just completely banned from the field. Well, a good friend of mine, Dennis Noble, just published a paper, and it took quite a political fight to get this paper um, to publication. Um, And it's in the journal Biology, which is a major journal. And the name of the paper is called 
is the watchmaker blind or does she have one eye? Okay. And it's a reference to Richard Dawkins' book, The Blind Watchmaker, which asserts that all the evolutionary steps are blind and purposeless. They're not. And he documents in the paper. Uh, it goes to your question. That's the skeptic. Well, that's just luck. He shows that it's not luck. He shows that organisms are actively um, w- using cognition to make changes that are relevant to the context of whatever is going on. It's really brilliant and it's very well documented. And, and he, now, so I think what you're going to see happening in the next 20 years is, excuse me, um, you're going to see a whole complete shift in going from seeing nature as bottom up in just like molecules to man to seeing nature as systems within systems within systems where there's top down causality, there's bottom up causality, there's, you know, at every, every level of interaction. And, and we have to learn to think this way. You'll find that the best artists, best engineers, the best musicians, the best business managers, they all think that way already, whether they have language for it or not. But really, everybody's got to go to a higher level of thinking. And that's, you know, so I I think our whole society is going through a birthing process right now. And we're seeing huge birthing pains. We've got the compartmentalization and the of social media and, and the echo chambers and the polarization and the Charleston, West Virginia's. And we're seeing all these conflicts going on and it, and it's because it's like, well, it's cause we have to go to a higher level of consciousness. And if we don't, we're in trouble. And like the outcome is not determined. Like we could all collapse into the abyss or we could make the leap, but we're not going to be able to stay where we are. I mean, I absolutely guarantee you that we're not going to stay where we are. Perry, this has been absolutely fascinating, and uh, and I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope everybody else has enjoyed uh, eavesdropping on our conversation. And you've launched something called the Evolution 2.0 Prize. Would love for yeah. you to share a little bit about that, and uh, and then tell people where they can find out more about what you're doing in business and and on this topic. So so, you know you've you've been talking. Um, back, you know, back to me during this interview about how important is like, we have to figure out how this actually works. We have to understand this. Like we, we can't just shrug it off as an accident. We can't all also can't just say, Oh, well, it was a miracle guy did it. So that's it. There's nothing else we can understand. Neither, neither one of those positions is, is scientific. I mean, I totally believe in God, but, but like, that's like kind of like an end point. That's, that's not, that's not the whole explanation, right? It's our job as curious human beings to figure out how it all works. And so I, I, I decided that the, the deepest, most fundamental question in this whole issue is, well, where does code come from? How do you, how do you get a code without designing one that if you could answer that question, that most of the other questions will actually fall in place. And so I put together a $5 million technology prize. And if somebody can solve this, then uh, my private equity group, which is called Natural Code LLC, we want to patent it and buy the patent from you and make you a partner in our effort, which would probably make us all a very large sum of money. Uh, 
Uh, probably the five million dollars would just be a good start. Um, and and so I I put together a prize. It's called the Evolution 2.0 Prize. If you go to naturalcode.org, you can see all the details. And I have the leading physiologist from Oxford on my judging panel. I have the leading geneticist from Harvard and MIT also on my judging panel. And uh, we have some very wealthy investors who would really love to solve this and love to own the technology because I think it would be a giant, giant breakthrough in artificial intelligence. And so, um, like I said, you can go to naturalcode.org and you can read about it and, you know, maybe... Maybe you or your teenager or, you know, somebody you know can figure this thing out. But I, I think it's absolutely central to the, this whole question of how the world works. Uh, it's been fascinating. And, and for those who want to find out more about what you're doing in business, where should they go? Um, so, so the business side, go to perrymarshall.com. And uh, in the evolution side, you can get three free chapters of Evolution 2.0 at CosmicFingerprints.com. Uh, evolution 2.0, it's in Audible, it's in paperback, it's in hardcover, it's in Kindle. So however you like to consume a book, it's all on Amazon. And y you'll never see the hand at the end of your arm the same way again after you read this book. And you'll probably, you know, if you're a little bit extra aware, you'll see... You'll see business in biology and you'll see biology in business for the rest of your life. And it'll be just a new way of seeing the world. And that's, that's always valuable. Absolutely. Hey, Perry, thanks so much for investing some time with me this morning. This has been a lot of fun. 